everybody out there. This is Vince Papali along with my daughter, Gabriella. And this is an episode, I don't know, number five, number six, Gab, of Gabbing with Invincible. We've okay. had some great guests coming and gone, but I cannot wait to talk to our next guest. Or not, not just a guest. I mean, she's part of our family. Mm -hmm. And it's Ryan Mannion. And she's going to tell us all about the foundation uh, that, that they've got, the Travis Mannion Foundation. And, and I'm proud to say I'm down in Jupiter, Florida, Gabby's and in Jupiter and, and you're up where you're in Doylestown now, right? Yeah. And, uh, and you're sort of our neighbor down here too, when you come down and visit with the kids, which is really quite a quite a uh, an adventure with our cul-de-sac that we have down here <laughs> in uh, Turtle Creek. But anyway, uh, ladies and gentlemen, and everybody out there, say hi to Ryan Mannion. We've known each other, well, I don't know, seven, eight years. <laughs> Clear blue sky, we'll tell that story um in a minute you know about how i even got to meet you know your dad just made a uh, made a cold call and god darn man we're like the best of friends you know <laughs> like the three amigos so it's yeah. one of the greatest one of the greatest uh friendships i've ever had and and just have so much respect for you ryan uh for what you've done what you've been through and how many people you've impacted and, and i'll just say one thing when i went out and speak I, I always start off with you know make a difference today um, and, and make an impact today with tomorrow in mind. And, and you have impacted so many people with the Travis Mannion Foundation, travismannion.org. And uh, maybe just to start off, could you tell us a, a little bit about it? And then we'll backtrack, tell about yourself and your family, some of the books that are out there and, and basically what your mission is, you know, which is a phenomenal mission as well. So I'm going to turn it over to you and uh, Gabby, anytime, you know, you know what to do. Great. Well, thank you so much. It's awesome to be here with both of you. I love it. And um, I could listen to you both all day. So I, I think this is a, a fabulous podcast and I'm excited to be a guest on it. And, you know, um, the Travis Mannion Foundation, it was formed after my brother, First Lieutenant Travis Mannion, was killed in Iraq. Uh, as you know, he was on his second tour of duty in Iraq when he was killed by an enemy sniper while pulling to safety two of his wounded teammates. And my mom started this organization. And, and Vince, I think you kind of came into our lives right after my mom passed. And so you didn't have the opportunity to meet her, but she was the really the, the life force of our family. She was the bulldog. She was the one that was always pushing forward, always had the big ideas. She was very much like your Janet. We yeah, had our Janet, Janet as well. There's a little Both bit of irony. Yes, yes. The bulldog, especially that's what her nickname is, the bulldog. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so we we had our own Janet. And, you know, my mom started the Travis Mannion Foundation. And I'll tell you that when we started or when she started the organization, my dad and I really looked at it as a way for her to grieve the loss of her son and do something for others. And we saw it as a really positive thing. And we would constantly say to each other, like, this is a great thing for mom to be doing. But we weren't super involved with the Travis Mannion Foundation at the beginning. We, that was kind of my mom's thing. We, we let her run with it. And I always say that we kind of jumped on the bandwagon because it was in less than two years after she filed the 501c3 paperwork to become a, a nonprofit that we turned to each other and we're like, oh my gosh, she's actually, this isn't just some small memorial fund in the Philadelphia area. Like she's, she's really doing some things. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I loved about what my mom was doing in the beginning is she was looking for not to 
reinvent the wheel or duplicate uh, programs that already existed out there for veterans. She was looking to find the gaps in services and the gaps in programs that existed uh, for our veteran community. And so she was really innovative in that way. And I think that's what led to ultimately the growth of our organization where, you know, today we've uh, provided programming and support to over 80,000 veterans across the country. We have a community of 200,000 uh, across the world. And as my dad likes to say, we're about one community at a time. How can veterans show up within communities and continue their legacy of service and continue the work that they did while in uniform? Because when they take off that uniform, that, that sense of service does not go away. Mm -hmm. And so everything we do at the Travis Manning Foundation is about giving them continued purpose in their lives. Well, you have a certain mission as well, too. I, I was just looking at it right now, bravery and kindness and humor. And you have that all. And, 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 and in a way, you know, as they're getting out of the military, these young men and women, and they're getting out of the military, there's that gap, you know, and there's groups out there called Bridging the Gap that I'm, I'm very close with. And, uh, and, and you sort of, you, you could be that glue to bring it all together with you now then having the veterans going out and speaking to the young men and women that are out there, which is just so great because our kids right now, they need this discipline that, that, you know, we're losing the discipline, I think, in society. And I think that what you have now and, and what you're doing with, especially the young, you know, if, if not me, then who, and character matters, which is so important. I mean, Dick Vermeer, when he first came in, his biggest thing was character. I want a character player. I want a character athlete. And I think we need more of that. And that's why character matters is such an important part of what your mantra is. Well, yeah, and I'll share with you, you know, so our flagship program at the foundation is called Character Does Matter. And we actually train veterans to go out and deliver character education to our youth. So we have thousands of veterans across the country that have gone through this training. And we have presented the program to over half a million kids across the country. And, you know, one of the things that it's two part, number one, you know, my dad always used to say when my dad was growing up, you know, his father's generation was the World War II generation. Mm -hmm. So everybody served, right? And so when my dad was growing up, he said, you know, my teacher was a veteran. My coach was a veteran. The butcher was a veteran. That, that's, that's who was raising and guiding and mentoring our youth. And that's gone today, you know, with less than 1% of the population serving in uniform. Mm -hmm. It's actually very hard to find someone that's connected to the military community. And so for us, it was important to make sure that we were putting these examples of men and women that served our country in front of our kids. And, you know, one in three children grow up without a positive mentor, without a strong mentor in their lives. Oh. And you think about this idea of character, like Dick Vermeil used to say, well, when you think about this idea that you can grow up your whole life, you can be a straight A student, and you could be an all-American athlete. But if nobody's teaching you about character, when you go out to the real world, if you're just a jerk and all you're resting on is your great academic and athletics, like that's not going to matter. What's going to matter is your character. And so we think it is so important in, in a lot of different ways to make sure that we are instilling this next generation with that sense of character and what it means to live a life of service regardless of if you put on a military uniform, because 
what we're trying to instill in these kids is that you can be servant leaders in your own backyards, but it's few and far between that they're actually being taught that message. So that's what the Travis Manu Foundation is is attempting to um, work at and and play a part in. When you're so you said when your dad was you know in the military and you know back then it was I feel like there was a lot of honor in serving your country and and wearing the uniform and with working with these young kids today like are you still seeing that they find that honor in serving this country or even just have that honor to have the privilege to live in this country or are you kind of seeing a little bit of a change with that now in the younger generations well you know it's interesting because there was actually um it was a Last week, I think I got it sent to me like 10 times over the Wall Street Journal uh, released like this uh, study they had done where there is nationally there is this declining sense of um, a few things within our country, one of them being patriotism, Mm -hmm. another being religion and another being like strong family and community. Right. So those things are massively on the decline. And I mean, I think we all could have said that without actually seeing yeah. the data like oh, we yeah. can feel it we see it but um i'll tell you that kids when we're going into schools and and i still have the opportunity to to speak at some of the high schools i speak at travis's high school that he went to you know i don't see that at all i see an an immense sense of pride but as we get further and further away from you know these past generations the one thing i do see is a curiosity because they're so far removed from understanding the military that it's almost like their eyes are like open where, you know, when I was speaking at Travis's high school, the first time I spoke there was in 2009, right? We were still in the middle of a, a, and we were in a big period of our, that 20 year war. So kids were kind of accustomed to what was happening now these kids have no comprehension of kind of the last 20 years and what that represented. So now they're kind of like very curious about, you know, they ask a lot of prompting questions. So I don't see a decline, Mm -hmm. but I see more of a curiosity for sure. Which I feel like almost is, it's a little bit encouraging to see that there is the curiosity there because if there wasn't curiosity, I think it'd be a little bit scary. Yeah, for sure. To be honest. And I think, you know, Again, I think that curiosity lends to this idea that no one's talking to them about these types of things, right? And so we know, I mean, our school systems are in some way, shape or form, they're a little bit broken. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I don't, I don't think that it's number one priority to think about positive role models. I don't think that that is something that collectively our society is thinking about. And, you know, or the idea of a positive role model is different than maybe what we would perceive it to be. Well, you know, it's interesting now, too, because, you know, you go from one generation or another. My generation is certainly the boomers, you know, and I'm going through college and uh, Vietnam is hot and heavy. and It's not real popular here in the United States. And there's all kinds of protests that are going on throughout the country. And then I graduate and I'm, I'll never forget I'm doing my GREs, graduate record exams. And I'm just looking and I'm laughing. And they say, what are you laughing at? I says, the hell is what's this all about? As soon as I graduate, I'm going to get drafted. I mean, you know, they, I don't think the, the different generations, certainly those that are, are behind us, uh, understand what the draft was. It was your obligation. 
right. your obligation to serve in the military as as a young man between the ages of whatever to whatever. And there were certain exemptions, and you know, just just just, just by chance, my alma mater, Interboro High School, calls and said they had a teaching job, and it turned out that if you had a child as a man my age, where you were teaching school, where had a certain job like that that was sort of benefiting the community, you got what was called a deferment. But I got drafted anyway. And um, ironically, I, I, I busted my ankle in, in, in Quantico and I re-injured it right before my draft and, and, I, and I flunked my physical. But, you know, I was ready to go. And, and we were all ready to go, you know, but a lot of my a lot of my friends I graduated from college with in high school, they went right into the service if they didn't go to college, you know, or after college, they just d- decided to do the, 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 the ROTC thing and went. And, you know, that's so that's that generational thing, too, as well, you know, but now the draft is gone. And my God, if you could you imagine what would happen? <laughs> they decided to reinstitute the draft. Oh, my God. Well, I mean, it's it's a real possibility and yeah. it's it's something that like we think about oh the draft is gone that's that's in the the rear windshield like the fact of the matter is is that you know we right now operate on an all volunteer force mm-hmm. and so every young man or woman that that joins the military does that voluntarily they make that decision right and so if if we are not giving a positive reflection of what the military stands for uh, that all volunteer force could dwindle significantly to the point where you have to reinstitute a draft. So I think we have an obligation as a society to highlight uh, the military community and to highlight, and listen, no group is, no group is perfect. And every institution has its challenges. The military is not exempt from that. But at the end of the day, you know, kids that join the military, and I, I actually heard a, a really interesting statistic, you know, there's a lot of kids that go enlist right out of high school, right? And so um, you go to these graduation ceremonies and, you know, they they highlight, you know, the kids going to the big Ivy League schools or, you know, doing all sorts of different things, right? But there's no sense of like pride or accomplishment for these kids that are enlisting right and everybody kind of thinks like oh they're enlisting they probably had bad grades or they have no other option and in fact a lot of these kids go and they enlist and they do their four-year stint and then they go and utilize the gi bill to go to college and they end up uh being way more successful than the kids that go to college right outside of high school have no idea what they're doing Mm -hmm. and frankly i was one of them you know just kind of cruise through college and you know slide by on but but at the end of the day like you're not most kids are not ready to enter a four-year college and be that independent and so i always say i think a national mandate on service is something that we should think about instituting in in our country that doesn't mean military service. There's got to be options, Peace Corps, you know, Teach for America. But mm-hmm. the idea that when you turn 18, you don't just get to go to a four-year college and party and drink oh, yeah. and show up at class at noon. Like you have to serve your country in for, for at least 365 days. And I think that's going to change the scope of what our society looks like. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I it's funny, I went to college when I went to Syracuse, there were, they had a very big military program or former military. Yeah. Um, and so like, I remember in one of my economics classes, 
I had a former military. I don't remember the branch, um, but you know, he was, in, you know, I was 20, I was maybe 21, 2021. 20, and he was 25, 26. And he was in the same class as me. And at first I was a little bit confused. And then once I got to realize, and I started to see, and I was like, it's actually amazing. And he's gone on to do really incredible things and has a beautiful family now. And, and but, guess what? He probably went to Syracuse for free because he, he was utilizing did. his, he was smarter than any of us, you know? So he absolutely yeah. did. And it's just, and I think that it would honestly, by doing so, there's plenty of countries that do that. And I, from what I see is the countries that require some sort of a service to our country commitment, however long it may be, it seems like there's a little bit more, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like patriotism, you know, for their country and pride for their country where, you know, nowadays I think that kids and and even adults I've seen take, take such for granted the country that we live in. And it's, they say, oh, well, you know, it's better over there, there, there. Okay. We'll go and live over there. And and then let's see how it is, you know, and they instill those same values in their kids too. And so it's just a very, um, it's an interesting idea that I think could be very, you know, very cool. Well, and, and I'll say this, you know, I'll never forget. And I won't say the, the reporter's name because Mm -hmm. you'd all know him. He was a local Philly guy on, on channel six. And after my brother died, um, I remember he showed up at our house and, um, my, at my parents' house and, you know, my dad did 30 years in the Marine Corps, retired as a Colonel, and then had a very successful career at Johnson and Johnson. And so he did well for himself. And, and I'll never forget the reporter coming in. You know, they had learned that a Marine from Doylestown had been killed in Iraq and they showed up at our house and my parents let him in and he walked into the house and he said something along the lines of like, oh, I didn't, I didn't realize that like kids who joined the Marine Corps grew up in like houses like this, you know, almost inferring that... <laughs> Almost inferring that like, you know, kids that join the military have no other option. Yeah. And my dad was very quick to say, my brother, my son could have done anything he wanted in life. Like this is what he wanted to do. And it was almost that interaction that was the catalyst for my dad. Cause he talks about it all the time. Like when the newspapers called and when the, the TV reporters called and wanted to talk to us, we very easily could have said no. And, but we said yes, because he wanted Travis's story to be shared and he wanted his story to represent this generation of men and women who have given their lives. And so that's kind of what we've moved forward with since 2007, like sharing his story as an example of this post 9-11 generation and, and what they stood for. Yeah. Well, you brought up a good point, and um, yeah, I know who you're talking about, by the way. <laughs> but what tell us tell us about Travis? I mean, this is all you know. So you're growing up with Travis, and a great high school athlete, and and it goes on to the Naval Academy, and he's a wrestler, and all this. Some great fun stuff. stories about him. Yeah, but yeah. you know, had, had, see, I I I don't know Travis other than the Travis I know through your family, you know, and all, and, and some of the pictures and some of the stories. But how, how do you, how do you see, you know, tell us a little bit about Travis. Yeah. So, well, again, you know, we grew up in a, in a military family. So Travis and I were both born in Camp Lejeune, North Carolina on a, on a really? military wow. base. And, and we were only 15 months apart. So very close. 
um, much like you and your, your brother, Gabby, mm-hmm. you know, we, we were best friends. And what made us even closer was the fact that when I was young, you know, my dad was, had to change every two years. He was in a new, yeah. new station. Right. So, um, I look back at that time and I remember growing up, I was very deeply resentful of the fact that I had to move every two years. I don't know if it was because I was a girl, but like, I felt like adjusting in a new place in a new town every two years, it was super hard for me. Travis didn't care. He just was like, go with the flow. Where are we going next? And, (laughs) but I always knew that I had Travis. Like I always knew, like I had my built-in best friend. And I mean, you know, my dad now, but like, I would say like, my dad has softened immensely. Yeah, what was he like? Was he tough? He was tough. Because he was gentle. I've seen. He was very tough. Yeah, he. He. I've seen it, and I've seen it with him toward me. You know, in a good, (laughs) positive way. How can you think that way? You know. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I used to. It's funny because you know, he'll he loves watching his grandkids play sports, right? And he was our ultimate like cheerleader, coach for everything when we were young, and you know, he's. I don't want to say he's critical, but he's, I mean, he tells you how it is. Like if you walk off a field and you didn't play well, he's not going to sugarcoat it and be like, oh, you did good. And he does the same thing with my with my dad. daughter who's going to be a division one athlete. And he's like, listen, like, this is what you did wrong. This is what you need to fix it. And sometimes my oldest will, you know, she'll be like, gosh, pop's so mean. I'm like, pop's so mean. When I was young, I remember like playing bad in basketball. My dad being like, you can't come in until you do 50 layups left-handed and right-handed. <laughs> and then you can come. I'm like, Pops, not, like, I wish I had. Yeah, you're like, this is easy. Kid. Yeah. But here's the thing. Like, when we were growing up, like, I didn't respond terribly well to his kind of, like, oh, yeah. his coaching. Now, Travis, on the flip side, responded great. So it's just a different type of person. Like, Travis mm-hmm. loved it. Travis loved the intensity that my dad brought to every situation and you know and because of that he ended up being you know all state in lacrosse he was a fantastic football player all american in wrestling and i loved watching my brother compete because he put everything and i see a lot of that honestly in vinny when yeah. i see vinny like out there like you know just outside burning it at the field, working so hard to accomplish his dreams. Like I saw that in Travis and, you know, and that led him to being a wrestler and a nationally ranked top 20 wrestler at the Naval Academy. And, you know, a lot of people will say like, oh, well, were you kind of like jealous of Travis and, and, you know, kind of his fame and what he was able to do athletically. And I'm like, I loved it. Like there is nothing I loved more than watching my brother. Like I was his biggest fan. And some of my favorite memories are walking in, like, you know, he was undefeated at LaSalle and in the regular season, I love walking in when he wrestled at LaSalle. And when you would walk in the gym, the gym would be packed and Travis would come out for the match and the whole, everybody in the, the uh, gym would just start chanting. It's all over because like (laughs) if you wrestle Travis, it was all over. Yeah. So it was just like, it's all <laughs> over. And like, I, I think back at that time with just like, it was, it was awesome. And uh, so, you know, I mean, again, so proud of him and, and you often hear stories when people pass 
Like, I think sometimes people put people that pass a little bit on a pedestal and like, you kind of forget all the bad and you remember all the good. Um, with Travis, like he was just like, there's no sugarcoating. Like the stories you hear about Travis, that's who he was. Like, I would, I would have said the same thing about Travis had he still been here. Like everybody loved Travis. He was everybody's biggest champion. He worked his butt off for everything he did. He was incredibly humble. And he was just the best of the best. He really was. And and I, ha I hear so many people that say like, oh, Travis Mannion, he was my best friend. And, you know, you can be like, really? But it's like, yeah. no, like everybody felt that way about him because that's how he made people feel, which I think is incredibly special. Wow. What so a, special. What a, what a tribute. Well, it's funny to say as a sister, as a father, I know what you're saying. You know, we, we got this young lady right here. That's her Syracuse stuff when she cheered or whatever sport she played. And Vinny, you know, Team USA in football, now he's in the USFL. That is the greatest thing as a parent to see your children and see how hard they worked, you know, yeah. no excuses. And, yeah. uh, <laughs> you know, then, then there's Janet. So our Janet, what was your Janet like there when this was all going on as Travis was going through this? Now you got the taskmaster, you know, you got the colonel. And then there's mom. Uh, I mean, I will tell you that there is no more stressful of a sport to watch someone you love compete in than wrestling. Okay. It is, it is a hard sport to watch someone you love compete in. And I, the, the national championships for uh, division one wrestling was just last week. And there's this, there's this uh, video that's gone viral on ESPN all over the internet, because it was this uh, kid that he won the national championship the last two years. And he goes up and he wrestles this year and um, he ends up getting pinned by a kid that he had beaten before. And they have video of the mom on the sidelines and she takes her glasses off and she breaks them in half and she's crying hysterically. And people are like, oh, this woman's crazy. And I'm like, that's just a, a wrestler's mom. Like I get everything <laughs> she just did because if you watch, we've got all these old videos of my brother wrestling and they're fantastic. But all you hear in the background is my mom, Your mom. <laughs> it's my mom screaming, you know? And so I, you know, my eight-year-old little Travis, he is, we've got him into wrestling, but it's not his favorite sport. He loves football. He loves basketball, but we have him doing like a training program where he goes once a week and he's kind of like, mom, I don't love wrestling. And, and Part of me is like, I'd love for him to kind of continue in that tradition of it because his uncle wrestled. But the other part of me is like, I think I'm okay with it because yeah. I think as a mom, I, I knew how stressful it was as a sister and I watched my mom. I don't know if I'd be able to do it as a mom, watch my son on the mat like that. So, yeah, that's all. Well, and so I always remember like when you were first telling us or telling me when I first met you guys about Travis and I was learning about your story and the way that you talked about him honestly reminded me of myself and Vinny we're three years apart I'm three years older but we've always had a very close relationship and I've always felt like I was his biggest cheerleader just like you were for Travis and so it always made me a little bit emotional you know when I you know would hear about you guys and um but I always felt like it was a very similar relationship and I think that's so special because I, there's so many people who don't end up having a relationship like that with their siblings well yeah and I I recognize now like I mean, again, growing up, I kind of thought everybody was that close with their siblings. Yeah. And I see now like that it, that's not always the, the shock when you realize yeah. it. Yeah. 
And yes. so I'm, I, I look back and I'm like, gosh, I feel so incredibly blessed that I had 26 years um, with my best friend. And that is something that I try to instill in my kids, like the relationship with each other should be the most important relationship in your lives. And, um, yeah. and I think they know that because they see, you know, though he's no longer here, they see the, the, the love that I had for my brother. And so I really try to instill that in them every single day. It's so special. Well, so I, I do want to ask about, you know, it's a little bit of a tougher subject with Travis. And so, you know, you're not only the president of the Travis Manning organization, but you're also an author. Um, mm -hmm. And one of which is called the knock at the door, which you recount the knock at the door from when you found out that he had been, you know, killed in, in war. And mm -hmm. so what was that knock like? And, you know, for people, everybody's going to have a knock at the door, right? At some point in their lives, whatever it may be. And how did you handle that and, and get through that knock and some advice for people? Yeah, I mean, honestly, that's why I wrote the book. Um, just like you said, like I wrote the book to share my knock at the door, but also to share that each and every one of us is going to re receive a knock. Like yeah. mine was a, a literal knock at the door that changed the course of my life. And, um, but each and every one of us are gonna have a knock. In fact, we're gonna have more than one knock. You know, I had a knock five years later when my mom passed of cancer, but you know, I look back on that day, April 29th, 2007. And, and I, I lived in New Jersey at the time and I happened to drive up to Doylestown cause I was opening another store. I, I was a small business owner. I had clothing boutiques and I was opening one up in Doylestown and I was so excited for the opportunity to kind of bring one back to, to my hometown where I'd gone to high school. And so I was at my parents that morning with my 10 month old daughter, Maggie. And um, my mom woke up and it was a beautiful day. My mom said, hey, why don't we have like, uh, why don't we do something? It's so nice today. Why don't we have people over? And so she called all of our family it, on my dad's side, my mom's side, we probably had 15, 20, you know, 20 people, 20, 25 people in our house. And it was a barbecue like, Hey, come over Sunday impromptu. And I ran into town to sign the lease on um, my building for my store. And I was standing there. I left my daughter at home and I, I was standing there and my phone rang and it was my mom. And I'm in the middle of talking to the, the landlord. I ignored the call. And then immediately the phone rang again and it was my mom again. I'm like, okay, she clearly needs something. And I answered the phone and I just heard screaming on the other end of the line. And I immediately thought something had happened to my daughter because I had left my 10 month old daughter and I, I kept screaming, what's wrong? What's wrong? And they were just screaming, come home. And I said, did you call an ambulance? And the, I thought it was my mom and ended up being my aunt. My aunt said, yes. And the line went dead. I was shaking so much. I couldn't even drive. I had someone, I lived, it was a mile away. And I said, you need to drive me to my house. And I pulled up into my parents' driveway and my dad was standing in the driveway and he was standing with a Marine that he had served with, uh, Lieutenant Colonel Gardner, which didn't register right away with me why he was there. They were family friends, but like, it didn't make sense why he was there. And I stepped out of the car and I said, where's the ambulance? Because this whole time, this five minute drive, I'm thinking that 
all, my daughter hit her head or choked. Yeah. And I said, where's the ambulance? And my dad just looked at me and he just said, Travis is dead. And I remember he was standing at the bottom of the driveway and I was at the top and I just like, I, I literally collapsed. Like I could not physically stand up and I just was like screaming. It's not fair. Like that's all I could think of was it's not fair. Yeah. And it was like a really chaotic scene because, you know, in some ways there was some beauty in the fact that when my parents received that knock, there were so many people in the house, but these were all the people that were closest to Travis as well. And they were receiving the news at the same time. Yeah. And so, you know, my little cousins were there, my aunts, my uncles, my grandmother sitting there in her wheelchair, you know, it was just, it was kind of surreal. And I remember when I walked, I finally, a neighbor ended up like picking me up and walking me down the driveway. And I remember when I like walked into the door of my parents' house, um, I remember thinking like nothing is ever going to be the same. And it was just like, it was crazy, you know, and those first like few days, few weeks um, are like a blur, right? You're just kind of going through the motions. Um, and the scariest thing for me during that whole time was we were surrounded. There were no less than 50 people in our home at any given time as soon as people heard what happened. But the scariest thing for me was like, what happens after the funeral? Because yeah. I knew that whole week it was everybody was going to be there. But then once every, all the services were over, all the ceremonies were over, it was like, everyone's going to go back to their own lives and which they should. Right. But like, we're, we're here left with like, without Travis and with no distraction to him being gone. And so that was the hardest time for me after everything. Um, and you but, had less than a one-year-old too, that you also I had, yeah, I had a 10 month old that, yeah. you know, honestly, I was incapable of parenting. Yeah. Like my husband, like, I don't think I changed her diaper for a month. Like I couldn't even take care of her. I slept in my parents' bed. Like yeah. literally the night Travis died, my husband went upstairs with our daughter and I got into bed with my parents. Like I, I was like a, I was a child myself, you know, and um, you know, but once I kind of came out of that haze, I recognized that like, we all had a choice, right? We have a choice on how we're going to respond to things. And it was actually the day of my, my brother's funeral. My dad called my mom, my husband and I into their bedroom. And he said, listen, like, I don't know what happens after this. I don't know how we move on, but I know that we are going to make Travis proud and we're going to live lives worthy of his sacrifice. And we didn't know what that meant at the time, but we all committed that morning to do it. And, you know, that's what we've tried to do ever since. And you've done a hell of a job doing it, right? Um, and so then, I'm, you know- I'm, I'm sorry, I'm-, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm like, I don't know, I'm, I was like trying to do that whole thing. I'm like, oh my I've, God. I've read, I've, I've read it. I've read the book, but I've never heard you say that. And, and, and you know, your dad as close as we are, you know, he just sort of poo-poos everything. It's just, yeah. uh, wow, can't even imagine, just can't even imagine losing one of my two. I, I, I just couldn't even think of that. Yeah, and I, I think it also shows that there's no real right way like that you're going to handle grief and, and the loss of someone and you're just going to do it on your own terms and you it's like a flip in the head, right? Where 
you either make the decision to honor this person continuously, or you can, you know, sit in the past and let it take over your entire being in life. Yeah. I mean, I think the thing about grief is there is no linear path of grief, right? And there's no like, okay, first comes this. And I mean, they have like kind of the 12 steps of grief, but Mm -hmm. like the fact of the matter is, is, you know, everybody grieves differently, but we can all make, like, I very easily could have pulled the blanket up over my head and not talk to anybody about my brother, not, not done a ton of things, but I made the decision as hard as it was that I was going to move forward, right? That, that I was doing him a disservice by not living the most fulfilling life that I could because of the sacrifice he made for us. And so, you know, people think like, oh, you kind of move past grief. Like I haven't moved past it. I would, I would give anything to have my brother here with me. And there are days where I will literally be sitting making a box of macaroni and cheese and something will like pop into my head that will make me cry. You know, do, am I outwardly like standing up in front of big audiences? No, I can share my brother's story without shedding a tear, but that doesn't mean I don't have my own moments where, you know, the, the terrible loss of him is like, you know, almost crippling, but I have learned now that I appreciate those moments. Right. So like before where I was like, oh, when am I ever going to stop crying? Because I literally woke up for months every single morning. I would open my eyes and just cry. Yeah. But now I've gotten to a point where like when I feel those feelings, I appreciate them because I'm just like, it's still there. Like that, Mm -hmm. that love for him and how much I miss him. It's still there. Like it hasn't gone away and it's never going to go away. And I never want it to, you know. And so you lost your mom like five years after the cancer. And so. Would you say that there is a difference in losing someone you love and in your family to in war versus somebody losing somebody from natural cause or from cancer or something like that? Or would you say it's pretty similar? I mean, I would say that it's different because, you know, with Travis, it was sudden, right? It was like instantaneous, this sudden tragedy with my mom you know, she was diagnosed and we had eight years, eight, eight years, eight months to kind of come to the realization yeah. that, that she wasn't going to make it, you know, but the other thing is, is like with, so there's a difference in kind of deaths that way. I don't know which one is easier. Honestly, it's very hard to watch someone die over the course of time. Yeah. Um, that's a hard thing to watch. Um, and I know many of us have to do that with our, you know, parents, but um, with, with Travis, you know, there's also a deep sense of pride because my brother loved this country and he loved what he was doing. And he felt very strongly that he was making a difference. So there is an immense sense of pride with, in his death. And, you know, I mean, uh, I don't know if it would be the same if he was in like a car accident, you know? And so, um, but I'm, I'm so proud of him. And, and it's, and it's weird to say, like, I'm proud of the, the way he died, but you know, it's a reflection of the way he lived. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm very proud of that. And, and I think that that brings a little bit of comfort, you know, as we grieve to know that he died doing what he loved. And he's a true hero. Yeah. Well, you know, he's up there looking down and saying, uh, you've made a difference. And, uh, 
<laughs> and your recognition that you've gotten from so many people, a presidential award. I was just reading before we came and it's like a laundry list of things that you've done. If you had a trophy room, they'd have to put an extension <laughs> on the house, you know. But I, I think one of the most touching to me was something uh, that happened on Memorial Day. You, you, you say every day is Memorial Day, but there was something that happened very special uh, with you and one of his best friends from Naval Academy. And of course, you know, we're talking about Brandon. And uh, and then after that, you know, your dad came up and, and wrote this book, you know, Brothers Forever. So could you explain to us that day and what it was like at Arlington Cemetery and Memorial Day then? Well, sure. So, you know, after Travis was killed in 2007, um, in 2010, just three years later, uh, Travis's best friend and roommate at the Naval Academy, Brendan Looney, uh, was killed in Afghanistan. He was a Navy SEAL. And that was like, I'll tell you, like when I screamed, it's not fair when Travis was killed, I thought that like double time when Brendan was killed, because all I could think was like, how are both of these individuals who had so much potential to, to give to this world both gone, right? And so it wasn't just like, it's not fair to me. It's like, it's not fair to this country that both of these, these young men are gone. And, um, you know, Travis was buried in Philadelphia. That's where my mom wanted him buried. Um, she, he was at a family plot in Conshohocken. Um, he shared with me, along with a bunch of his friends, before he was killed. One night we were drinking a beer, sitting at my kitchen counter, and he said, hey, just so you know, if anything happens to me, I want to be buried at Arlington. And I was like, shut up. We're not having this conversation. And he's like, well, I'm just letting you know. And I'm like, okay, well, guess what? You're going to be buried at the family plot so we can come see you. I jokingly said that. And that's what actually happened because oh my, my mom was like, he's buried in Conshohocken. And she went and she visited him every Sunday. When, after he was buried there, a bunch of people went to my dad and was like, hey, just want you to know, Travis actually shared his desire to be buried at Arlington. But nobody said anything because you're not going to tell mom why she's planning her son's funeral arrangements. Yeah. You know, oh, by the way, so when Brendan was killed in 2010, his wife said, I want Brendan and Travis, Brendan buried next to Travis. My parents said, well, Brendan's, Travis is buried in Philadelphia. Brendan's from Maryland. It doesn't make sense. And she said, well, I want, I want them buried together at Arlington, made some sort of comment like that. And, and my mom was like, okay, I'm ready. I'm ready to move Travis to Arlington. And wow. so we did, we moved Travis to Arlington. We got approval from the secretary of the army to move him before Brendan was buried. So we buried Travis on a Friday, like a week after Brendan had died. And then that Monday they buried Brendan right next to him. And so they now rest side by side in section 60 of Arlington national cemetery. And, you know, they were roommates at the Naval Academy and now they're, they're roommates at Arlington. Yeah. And um, it's a beautiful thing. You know, Amy Looney, Brendan's late wife, She's the vice president of the Travis Manning Foundation. So I get to work alongside her every day. And gosh, it's just, it's, it's so awesome. I mean, people visit the two of them all the time and it's just, it's awesome to, for them to share the pictures like, Hey, was with the boys today. So, um, you know, terrible loss that Brendan is no longer with us, but um, it's a beautiful story of, again, these two young men with so much left to give the world you know, and, um, and, and I, I think that their story continues to give 
so much inspiration and meaning to so many. And my dad wrote the book. And so my dad wrote a book to share their story because um, it's an incredible story. Well, you talked about making else. a difference. Yeah, it's just, just, well, you've made the difference. And so where do you go from here? What, what, there's so many things, just real quick, I, you know, I have my, I'm so proud of my Travis Met. So when I travel and I'm traveling all over the place, I just came back from Fort Hood. But anytime I travel, I always like to have something that ties me to Philly, you know? And, you know, whether it's my Eagle stuff or Invincible stuff, or whatever it might be, but I can't wear Invincible to Vinny's games. <laughs> but I had this coming back. I, I spoke at Fort Hood just a couple of weeks ago to the, to the soldiers out there in Austin, Texas. And I'm going through the... Um, I'm going through the security and this guy, and I have my Travis Mannion thing on. And uh, a guy says, you're with the Travis Mannion Foundation. You know, here's a guy in Austin, right? And he, and he said, what do you know about it? I, I said, are you a military? He said, no. And he said, but the, we, we, have, we have events here all the time. And I participate in those events. The scope of what you've done, starting right there in Doylestown and now where you are and how many cities, it's just scary. What, yeah. what you and what your mom started and have done and your dad and your family. We're in, you know, we've got 30 chapters around the country, eight, eight regional offices. And, you know, the plan for us is to continue to scale the programs that already exist and to be a resource to even more veterans. Uh, we say that in the next 10 years, we want to work with 100,000 veterans, a million kids and um, 100 cities. So that's, that's our 10-year goal, and we are well on our way to getting there. And your logo is? Our logo is uh, a Spartan helmet. And Spartan um, helmet. yeah, you know, my brother was borderline obsessed with the Spartan culture and the way of life. And, um, and so we knew that we wanted our logo to be reflective of that. And so we had some really great a really great marketing and branding company that made us a Spartan logo that actually is a T and an M. So uh, for those, some people don't always see that right away. But, I didn't uh, see it. I see it now. Yeah. 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 Is that cool? Out, see? <laughs> oh, that's so oh, cool. Yeah, you can see it. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I noticed it in the background, you're, the wood right thing. Oh, yeah, the wood. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that that's cool? so sick. I never knew that. Yeah. <laughs> well, so, you know, it's one of those brain tricks where some people, it's like right away they yeah. see it. And then some people, they're, they like never pick, you know, they have to like be like, I was and, always wondering what the, you know, but I was like, ah, it's probably a stupid question if I ask, can't do that. <laughs> and then you have, if not me, then who? Yeah. If the not Travis, me, then who? Travis and those are the, yeah, those are the five words that Travis spoke at a Philadelphia Eagles game. You know, we have deep ties with, and with the Eagles because, you know, those five words are kind of reflective of what our, our community at the Travis Manning Foundation represents. There are ethos. And when Travis was home between his first and second deployment, he was leaving. He had like a week here and he was like, I have to go to an Eagles game. And we were season ticket holders. And so my husband, uh, well, my dad's season ticket holders, my husband and Travis went to a game. And my husband, Dave said, you know, it was like just weighing on his mind the whole time that Travis was going back. But, you know, he tried to like, push it out of his mind. Eagles won that night. They had a great time. They're leaving the stadium. You know, maybe Dave's had one too many beers and he like oh, turns no, to Travis and he says like, Hey, why don't you let me push you down the stairs? Maybe you'll break your ankle and you won't have to go back to Iraq. 
And he said that Travis, who was like super lighthearted and like in like jovial the whole night, got real serious. And Dave said he he just like turned to me and he's like, you know, if I don't go back to Iraq, then somebody much less prepared for the job is going to go in my place. Wow. If not me, then who? And um, and it was like those five words, like when Dave shared that story, it was like those five words maybe were spoken for the first time at the Eagle Stadium to Dave. But like, that's the way that he lived his entire life, you know, and, and we look at his last day of life, you know, on April 29th, you know, he had two of his teammates that were shot. Travis both times ran out to pull them to safety. And when they're, it looked like they were ambushed on three sides, like one person needed to step out to push the enemy back. And that was Travis, you know, he exposed himself for a third time with his grenade launcher and was able to push the enemy back. Um, and that's when he gave his life. And and you read the citation, he received a silver star for his action that, that day. And the citation, the last line of the citation reads like, Travis's, Lieutenant Mannion's deliberate actions saved the entire patrol that day. Wow. And so, I mean, when you think about, if not me, then who, like there it is, you know? So, so we try to instill that in the kids that we work with and, and, you know, we try to instill it in everyone, like, frankly, all of us, like, all of us need to work towards having these, if not me, then who moments, no matter how small they are, you know, moments where we lead by example. Mm -hmm. And your daughter is following in her uncle's legacy, right? Going she to is. the Naval Academy. And so that's yes. gotta be awesome. And so I bet your dad's so excited about that too. She's excited. Division one recruit to play lacrosse so at cool. Navy. And yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's pretty unbelievable. So I've had the honor of watching her play. I've been part of the family. Uh, speaking of honor, uh, this is what your daughter honor number two, uh, she painted for me, which goes very proudly right up here on this wall, but I wanted to show that. That and was then, a that was a big deal for her to be able to do that for you. That and I'll so tell you, Vince. Cool. She was so uh, shy. It was it was great. I loved it. Oh, uh, she worked on that all week. And uh, then, you know, we went out to the dinner and she presented it to you. She was so excited. And I'll tell you, I'm upstairs right before we hopped on, and my son is filling out his star of the week this week. And it says three fun facts about me. And so his fun facts were. He's going to Ireland this year because we're going to go watch Navy play Notre Dame in Ireland. Oh, how cool. His wow. other fun fact was he plays six sports. Um, you know, okay. Okay. Um, and then his other fun fact was he's friends with an Eagles player. <laughs> and he's, he's talking about you. So he's he's uh, excited to go into school and flex that he's friends with an Eagles player. Okay. okay. <laughs> that that orange bike is up there on the wall forever. And that says when he gets here, and that, that was Vinny's bike. His trick bike. Are you going yeah. now? But I think it's, place. you know, I will say, you know, Vince, like my kids, they, they know your family and, and, you know, they, they know you as, as Vince Papali. And, you know, they knew like you played football for the Eagles, but it wasn't until recently, especially for Travis, that like he understood we watched over Christmas, we watched Invincible hmm. and it was like his mind was blown. Like, wait, that's Vince? That's Vince. I'm like, that's Vince's story. And you know, when you look at like positive role models, like I love that he looks up to the fact that, you know, as opposed to just like thinking a a basketball player or football player is his hero just because of what they do on the field, right? Mm -hmm. Like 
feeling that story behind it, like the perseverance, how hard you work to get where you got to, like, it was, it was eye-opening for him. Um, so thank you for, uh, for, for giving that to my children and, and, you know, being kind of that source of inspiration that like, and even for Maggie, like you don't give up, you know, like you don't give up. That's pretty cool. Well, I always say, I'm just, I'm just Gabby's dad. You know, I'm just Vinny's dad, Jenna's husband, you know, whatever it is, it is. So what do you think, Gab? You got anything else that, I mean, there's, there's yeah, this has been amazing. All this stuff that, because your dad, when he just left about, you know, about an hour ago, and, and, he, and I said, you know, Ron, we could go all day long because you have so many great stories and yeah. so many, so many things to say. All right. Well, maybe we can wrap it up with this and tell yeah. us about some of your upcoming events and TravisManion.org. You've got to go and see that and see all they're doing. What are your, I know you've got a couple of golf outings coming up and you, you always Memorial Day coming up soon. You're going to have your honors run. Yeah, well, the 9-11 Heroes run in September. I mean, we've got so many things, so many different things. If you if you play golf, you can come support us at a golf event. If you're, you're active, we have the Mannion Wad coming up at the end of April, where it's a, a workout that you can do. You earn a shirt and a patch to do a bunch of squats and run. You can do it virtually. You just sign up or you can attach to a gym. Um, it's like a nerf. Yeah. Um, yep. But go on to our website, travismanion.org. And join the mission. That's the biggest thing you can do. Because if you join our mission, you'll learn about everything that we do and all the different ways that you can be a part of it. And I will say, the one thing I will say in closing is that we are a veteran service organization, but half of our membership is made up of civilians. And it's really important to us that our organization is, you know, bridging that military civilian divide. And so this not this this is not just an organization that you can only be involved in if you're a veteran. So you know, for everyone, come out and and play a part in helping to strengthen our communities across the country. Awesome, that's great. Yeah, they do. You guys do great work. So thank you so much again. This has been awesome. So much insight on everything, and we're so thankful to have you on here and you know have us have you part of our. We'll see you. I'll see you one of the golf tournaments, and certainly see you when we're coming up. And I'll tell you what, nobody throws a better party than you guys when it's the Army Navy game. Oh, oh that's tailgates. Yeah, we could, you could just talk an hour about that and all the people that come by. We're talking Medal of Honors, he, yeah. he, the number one draft pick from all the sports, everybody coming into that tailgate. It's the best ever. My dad sent me a picture yesterday from a couple of years ago. I guess I was with a couple of service members that had just um that were in the service and they were doing jameson shots and i walked by and they were like you want a shot and i was like yeah i do so i i he just sent me a picture yesterday from the tailgate of me swinging out of their jameson bottles and one of them going like yeah i love it <laughs> good stuff oh beautiful we love you thank you so much thank Ryan, you so Ryan much thank we'll you, you thanks a lot this was great go usa <laughs> god bless america